0: We're sitting in our booth by the jukebox. I wonder what Margot's doing right now. It's nighttime in Scotland. Maybe she's getting ready to go out to the pub with her hallmates. Margot says pubs are really big over there. They have what they call pub crawls, where they go from pub to pub and drink and drink. Margot's not some big drinker. I've never even seen her drunk. I hope she's learned how to by now. I hold my hand out for quarters. Another Laura Jean and Josh tradition. Josh always gives me quarters for the jukebox. It's because he keeps mounds of them in his car for the toll booth. And I never have quarters because I hate change. I can't decide if I want doo-wop or folksy guitar, but then at the last second I put in video killed the radio star for Margot. So in a way it's like she is here. Josh smiles when it comes on. I knew you'd pick that. No you didn't, because I didn't know I was going to until I did. I pick up my menu and study it like I haven't seen it a million times. Josh is still smiling. Why bother looking at the menu when we already know what you're going to get? I could change my mind at the last second, I say. There's a chance I could order a tuna melt, or a turkey burger, or a chef salad. I can be adventurous, too, you know. Sure, Josh agrees, and I know he's just humoring me. The server comes over to take our order, and Josh says, I'll have a grilled cheese and a tomato soup and a chocolate milkshake. He looks at me expectantly. There's a smile coming up on the corners of his lips. Um, um. I scan the menu as fast as I can, but I don't actually want a tuna melt or a turkey burger or a chef salad. I give up. I like what I like. A grilled cheese, please, and a black cherry soda. As soon as the server is gone, I say, Don't say a word. Oh, I wasn't going to. And then, because there's a silence, we both speak at the same time. I say, have you talked to Margo lately? And he says, how are things going with Kavinsky? Josh's easy smile fades and he looks away. Yeah, we chat online sometimes. I think, I think she's kind of homesick. I give him a funny look. I just talked to her last night and she didn't seem homesick at all. She seemed like the same old Margot. She was telling us about Raisin Weekend. It makes me want to go to St. Andrews, too. What's Raisin Weekend? I'm not a hundred percent sure. It sounds like it was a mix between drinking a lot and Latin. I guess it's a Scottish thing. Would you do that? Josh asks. Would you go somewhere far away? I sigh. No. Probably not. That's Margot, not me. It'd be nice to visit, though. Maybe my dad will let me go during spring break. I think she'd like that a lot. I guess our Paris trip isn't happening anymore, huh? He laughs awkwardly, and then he clears his throat. So, wait, how are things going with Kavinsky? Before I can answer, the server comes back with our food. Josh pushes the bowl of soup so it's in the middle of the table. First sip, he asks holding up the milkshake. Eagerly, I nod and lean across the table. Josh holds the glass, and I take a long sip. Ah, I say, sitting back down. That was a pretty big sip, he says. How come you never get your own? Why should I when I know you'll share? I break off a piece of grilled cheese and dip it into the soup. So you were saying, Josh prods. When I stare at him blankly, he says, you were about to talk about Gavinsky. I was hoping this wouldn't come up. I'm not in the mood to tell more lies to Josh. Things are good. Because Josh is looking at me like he's expecting something more, I add. He's really sweet. Josh snorts. He's not what you'd think. People are so quick to judge him, but he's different. I'm surprised to find I'm telling the truth. Peter isn't what you'd think. He is cocky, and he can be obnoxious, and he's always late, true, but there are other good and surprising things about him, too. He's not what you think. Josh gives me a dubious look. Then he dunks half his sandwich into the soup and says, "'You already said that.' That's because it's true. He shrugs at this like he doesn't believe me, so I say, "'You should see the way Kitty acts around Peter. She's crazy about him.' I don't realize it until the words are actually out of my mouth, but I say it to hurt him. Josh tears off a hunk of grilled cheese. Well, I hope she doesn't get too attached. Even though I've had that exact same thought for different reasons, it still hurts to hear. Suddenly, the easy Josh and Laura Jean feeling is lost. Josh is withdrawn and closed off, and I'm stinging from what he said about Peter. And it feels like play-acting to sit across from each other and pretend it's the same as the old days. How could it be? When Margo isn't here, she's the point of our little triangle. Hey, Josh says suddenly. I look up. I didn't mean that. That was a shitty thing to say. He ducks his head. I guess... I don't know. Maybe I'm just jealous. I'm not used to sharing the song girls. I go soft inside. Now that he's said this nice thing, I'm feeling warm and generous toward him again. I don't say what I'm thinking, which is... You may not be used to sharing us, but we're very used to sharing you. You know Kitty still loves you best, I say, which makes him smile. I mean, I did teach her how to hock a loogie, Josh says. You don't forget the person who teaches you something like that. He takes a long sip of his milkshake. Hey, they're doing a Lord of the Rings marathon at the best this weekend. Wanna go? That's like nine hours. Yeah nine hours of awesome. True, I agree. I want to go. I just have to check with Peter first. He said something about going to a movie this weekend, and Josh cuts me off before I can finish. It's fine. I can just go with Mike. Or maybe I'll take Kitty. It's about time I introduced her to the genius that is Tolkien. I'm quiet. Are Kitty and I interchangeable in his mind? Are Margo and I... We're sharing a waffle when Genevieve walks into the diner with a little kid, who I guess must be her little brother. Not her actual little brother. Jen is an only child. She's the president of this Little Sib program. It's where a high school student is paired up with an elementary school kid, and you tutor them and take them out for fun days. I slump down in my seat, but of course Jen still sees me. She looks from me to Josh, and then she gives me a little wave. I don't know what to do, so I just wave back something about the way she's smiling at me is unsettling it's how genuinely happy she looks if Genevieve is happy that's not good for me at dinner I get a text from Peter it says if you're going to hang out with Sanderson can you at least not do it in public under the table I read it over and over Could it be that Peter's the teensiest bit jealous? Or is he really just worried about how it looks to Genevieve? What do you keep looking at? Kitty wants to know. I put my phone down, face down. Nothing. Kitty turns to Daddy and says, I bet it was a text from Peter. Buttering a roll, my dad says, I like Peter. You do? I say. Daddy nods. He's a good kid. He's really taken with you, Laura Jean. Taken with me? I repeat. To me, Kitty says, You sound like a parrot. To Daddy, she says, What does that mean, taken by her? It means he's charmed by her, Daddy explains. He's smitten. Well, what's smitten? He chuckles and stuffs the roll in Kitty's open, perplexed mouth. It means he likes her. He definitely likes her. Kitty agrees, her mouth full. He... he looks at you a lot, Lara Jean. When you're not paying attention, he looks at you to see if you're having a good time. He does? My chest feels warm and glowy, and I can feel myself start to smile. I'm just so happy to see you happy. I used to worry about Margot taking on so many responsibilities at home and helping out the way she did. I didn't want her to miss out on her high school experience. But you know, Margo, she's so driven. Daddy reaches over and squeezes my shoulder. To see you now going out and doing things and making new friends, it makes your old man very happy. Very, very happy. I feel a lump grow in my throat. If only it wasn't all a lie. Don't cry, Daddy, Kitty orders, and Daddy nods and pulls her into his arms for a hug. ''Can you do me a favor, Kitty?'' he says. ''What?'' ''Can you stay this age forever?'' Automatically, Kitty replies, ''I can if you give me a puppy.'' My dad roars with laughter, and Kitty laughs too. I really admire my little sister sometimes. She knows exactly what she wants, and she'll do whatever it takes to get it. She's shameless that way. ''I'm going to talk to Daddy and help her cause.'' The two of us will wear him down. There'll be a puppy under our tree Christmas morning. I'd bet money on it. Chapter 49 The next night, Peter and I study at Starbucks for a few hours. Well, I study, and he keeps getting up and talking to people from school. On the way home, he asks, Did you sign up for the ski trip? No, I'm a terrible skier. Only cool people like Peter and his friends go on the ski trip. I could try to twist Chris's arm into going, but she'd probably laugh in my face. She's not going on any school trip. You don't have to ski. You can snowboard. That's what I'm doing. I give him a look. Can you picture me snowboarding? I'll teach you. Come on. It'll be fun. Peter grabs my hand and says, Please, 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 Laura Jean, come on. Be a sport. It'll be fun, I promise. He catches me by surprise with this. The ski trip isn't until winter break. So he wants to keep this, us, up until then? For some reason, I feel relieved. If you don't want a snowboard, he continues, the lodge has a big stone fireplace and big comfy chairs. You can sit and read for hours. And they sell the best hot chocolate. I'll buy you one. He squeezes my hand. My heart does a little zing, and I say, All right, I'll go. But the hot chocolate had better be as good as you say. I'll buy you as many as you want. Then you better bring a lot of singles, I say, and Peter snorts. What? Nothing. When we get to my house, I climb out, and he drives away. Before it occurs to me, I left my bag on the floor of his car, and Daddy and Kitty aren't home. They're at Kitty's school for parent-teacher conferences. I fumble around blindly under the deck, feeling around in the dark for the spare keys we keep hidden under the wheelbarrow. Then I remember that the spare keys are in the junk drawer, in the house, because I forgot to put them back the last time I got locked out. I have no keys, no phone, no way of getting into the house. Josh! Josh has a spare key! He's watered my dad's plants for him a few times when we went away on vacation. I find a rock in the driveway and I cross the lawn and stand underneath Josh's window. I throw the rock at it and I miss. I find another one and it pings off the glass, barely making a sound. I try again with a bigger rock. This one hits. Josh opens the window and leans his head out. Hey! Did Kavinsky leave already? Surprised, I say, Yeah. I left my bag in his car. Can you throw down the spare keys? Josh sighs, like I'm asking for something huge. Hold on. Then he disappears. I stand there and wait for him to come back to the window, but he doesn't. He comes outside the front door instead. He's wearing a hoodie and sweatpants. It's Margot's favorite hoodie. When they first got together, she used to wear it all the time, like it was a letterman's jacket or something. I hold my hand out for the keys, and Josh drops them in my hand. Thanks, Joshie. I turn to leave, but he says, Wait, I'm worried about you. What? Why? He sighs heavily and adjusts his glasses. He only wears his glasses at night. This thing with Kavinsky. Not that again, Josh. He's a player. He's not good enough for you. You're... innocent. You're not like other girls. He's a typical guy. You can't trust him. I think I know him a lot better than you do. I'm just looking out for you. Josh clears his throat. You're like my little sister. I want to hit him for saying that. No, I'm not, I say. An uneasy look crosses over Josh's face. I know what he's thinking, because we're both thinking it. Then headlights are beaming down our street. It's Peter's car. He's come back. I hand Josh his set of keys and run over to my driveway. Over my shoulder, I call out, Thanks, Joshy!" I come around the front to the driver's side. Peter's window is down. You forgot your bag, he says, glancing over toward Josh's house. I know, I say breathlessly. Thanks for coming back. Is he out there? I don't know. He was a minute ago. Then, just in case. Peter says, and he leans his head out and kisses me on the lips, open-mouthed and sure. I'm stunned. When he pulls away, Peter's smiling. Night, Lara Jean. He drives off into the night, and I'm still standing there with my fingers to my lips. Peter Kavinsky just kissed me. He kissed me, and I liked it. I'm pretty sure I liked it. I'm pretty sure I like him." The next morning I'm at my locker, putting my books away, when I see Peter walking down the hallway. My heart thumps in my chest so loud I can hear it echo in my ears. He hasn't seen me yet. I duck my head into my locker and start arranging my books into a pile. From behind the locker door he says, "'Hey!' "'Hey!' I say back. "'I just want to set your mind at ease, Covey. I'm not going to kiss you again, so don't worry about it. Oh. So that's that. It doesn't matter if I like him or not, because he doesn't like me back. It's kind of silly to feel so disappointed about something you only just realized you wanted, isn't it? Don't let him see that you're disappointed. I face him. I wasn't worrying about it. Yes, you were. Look at you. Your face is all pinched together like a clam. Peter laughs, and I try to unpinch my face, to look serene. It's not going to happen again. It was all for Sanderson's benefit. Good. Good, he says, and he takes my hand, and he closes my locker door, and he walks me to class like a real boyfriend. Like we're really in love. How was I supposed to know what's real and what's not? It feels like I'm the only one who doesn't know the difference. Chapter 50 My dad's thrilled when I ask him to sign the permission slip. Oh, Lara Jean, this is great. Did Peter convince you? You've been scared of skiing ever since you were ten, and you did the splits and you couldn't get back up. Yeah, I remember. My boots froze onto the skis, and I lay there in the splits for what felt like days. Signing the paper, my dad says, Hey, maybe we can all of us go to Wintergreen over Christmas. Peter, too. So that's where I get it from, my dad. He lives in a fantasy world. Handing me the slip, he says cheerfully, You can wear Margot's ski pants, her gloves, too. I don't tell him that I won't need them, because I'll be cozy in the lodge, reading, and sipping hot cocoa by the fire. I should bring my knitting stuff with me, too. When I talk to Margo on the phone that night, I tell her I'm going on the ski trip, and she's surprised. But you hate skiing. I'm going to try out snowboarding. Just be careful, she says. I'm thinking she means on the slopes, but when Chris comes over the next night to borrow a dress, I learn otherwise. You know everybody hooks up on the ski trip, right? It's like a school-sanctioned booty call. What? That's where I lost my V freshman year. I thought you lost it in the woods near your house. Oh, yeah. Whatever. The point is, I had sex on the ski trip. There are chaperones, I say worriedly. How can people just have sex with chaperones around? Chaperones go to sleep early because they're old, Chris says. People just sneak out. Plus, there's a hot tub. Did you know that there's a hot tub? No, Peter never mentioned that. Well, that's that, I just won't pack a bathing suit. It's not like they can make you go in the hot tub if you don't want to. The year I went, people were skinny dipping. My eyes bug out. Skinny dipping? People were nude? Well, the girls took their tops off. Just be prepared. Chris chews on her fingernail. Last year, I heard Mr. Dunham got in the hot tub with students, and it was weird. This sounds like the Wild West, I mutter. More like girls gone wild. It's not that I'm worried Peter will try something with me. I know he won't, because he doesn't see me that way. But are people going to expect it? Am I going to have to sneak into his room in the middle of the night so people think we're doing something? I don't want to get in trouble on a school trip, but Peter has a way of convincing me to do stuff I don't want to do. I grab Chris's hands. Will you please come? Please, please? She shakes her head. You know better than that. I don't do school trips. You have before. Yeah, freshman year. Not anymore. But I need you. Desperately, I squeeze her hands and say remember how i covered for you last year when you went to coachella i spent the whole weekend sneaking in and out of your house so your mom would think you were at home don't forget the things i've done for you chris i need you now unmoved chris plucks her hands away from mine and goes to the mirror and starts examining her skin Kavinsky's not going to pressure you to have sex if you don't want to If you minus the fact that he dated the devil, he's not a total dummy. He's kind of decent, actually. What do you mean by decent? Decent like he doesn't care that much about sex? Oh, God, no. He and Jen were in constant heat for each other. She's been on the pill longer than I have. Too bad everyone in my family thinks she's this angel. Chris pokes at a zit on her chin. What a fake. I should send an anonymous letter to our grandma. Not that I really would. I'm no rat, unlike her. Remember that time she told our grandma I was going to school drunk? She doesn't wait for me to answer. When Chris gets going on a Genevieve rant, she is single-minded. My grandma wanted to use the money she saved for my college for rehab. They had a family meeting about me. I'm so glad you stole Kavinsky from her. I didn't. him. they were already broken up. Chris snorts. Sure, keep telling that to yourself. Jen's going on the ski trip, you know. She's class president, so she's basically organizing it. So just beware, don't ever ski alone. I let out a gasp. Chris, I'm begging you, please come. In a burst of inspiration, I say, If you come, it'll make Genevieve really mad. She's organizing this whole thing. It's her trip. She won't want you there. Chris purses her lips into a smile. You know how to play me. She juts her chin at me. Do you think this zit is ready to pop? Chapter 51 Thanksgiving Day, Daddy cleans out the turkey for me and then leaves to go pick up our Korean grandma, who lives an hour away in a retirement community with a lot of other Korean grandmas. Daddy's mom, Nana, is spending Thanksgiving with her boyfriend's family, which is fine by me because I know she wouldn't have anything nice to say about the food. I make up a green bean dish with orange peel and dill in an earnest effort to be jazzy and inventive. I nominate Kitty to be my taste tester, and she takes a bite of green bean and says it tastes like an orange pickle. Why can't we just have the green bean casserole with the fried onion rings that come in the can? Kitty ponders. She's cutting out different colored feathers for her turkey placemats. Because I'm trying to be jazzy and inventive, I say, dumping a can of gravy into the saucepan. Doubtfully, Kitty says, Well, are we still having broccoli casserole? People will eat that. Do you see any broccoli anywhere in this kitchen? I ask. No. The green in this meal is the green bean. What about mashed potatoes? We're still having mashed potatoes, right? Mashed potatoes. I jump up and check the pantry. I forgot to buy the potatoes. I got the whole milk and the butter and even the chives to put on top like Margo always does, but I forgot the actual potatoes. Call Daddy and ask him to pick up Yukon Gold potatoes on the way home, I say, closing the pantry door. I can't believe you forgot the potatoes, Kitty says with a shake of her head. I glare at her. Just focus on your placemats. No, because if I didn't just ask about the mashed potatoes, the meal would have been ruined. So you should be thanking me. Kitty gets up to call Daddy, and I yell out, By the way, those turkeys look more like the NBC Peacock logo than actual turkeys, so... Kitty is unfazed, and I take another bite of the green beans. They do taste like an orange pickle. It turns out I have cooked the turkey upside down. Also, Kitty kept hounding me about salmonella because she watched a video on it in Science, so I wind up leaving the bird in too long. The mashed potatoes are fine, but there are some crunchy bits here and there because I rushed to boil them. We are seated around the dining room table, and Kitty's placemats really do add a certain something. Grandma is eating a whole pile of green beans, and I shoot Kitty a triumphant look. Someone likes them. There was a minute or two after Mommy died when Grandma moved in to help take care of us. There was even talk of her staying. She didn't think Daddy could manage on his own. So, Danny, Grandma begins. Kitty and I exchange a look across the table because we know what's coming. Are you seeing anyone these days? Going on dates? My dad reddens. Uh, not so much. My work keeps me so busy. Grandma clucks. It's not good for a man to be alone, Danny. I've got my girls to keep me company, my dad says, trying to sound jovial and not tense. Grandma fixes him with a cold stare. That's not what I mean. When we're doing the dishes, Grandma asks me, Lara Jean... Would you mind if your daddy had a girlfriend? It's something Margot and I have discussed at length over the years, most often in the dark, late at night. If Daddy absolutely had to date, what kind of woman would we like to see him with? Someone with a good sense of humor, kind-hearted, all of the usual things. Someone who'd be firm with Kitty, but not rein her in so much that it would squash all the special things about her. But also someone who wouldn't try to be our mother. That's what Margot is fiercest about. Kitty needs a mom, but we're old enough to not need mothering, she says. Of the three of us, Margot would be the most critical. She's incredibly loyal to Mommy's memory. Not that I'm not, but there have been times over the years where I've thought how it would be nice to have someone. Someone older, a lady, who knows about certain things, like the right way to put on blush or how to flirt to get out of a speeding ticket. Things to know for the future. But then it never happened. Daddy's been on some dates, but he hasn't had a steady girlfriend he's brought around, which has always been sort of a relief. But now that I'm getting older, I keep thinking about what it will be like when I'm gone, and it's just Kitty and Daddy, and then before long it will just be Daddy. I don't want him to be alone. No, I say. I wouldn't mind at all. Grandma gives me an approving look. Good girl, she says, and I feel warm and cozy inside, like how I used to feel after a cup of the night night tea Mommy used to make me when I couldn't fall asleep at night. Daddy's made it for me a few times since, but it never tasted the same, and I never had the heart to tell him. Chapter fifty two. The Christmas cookie bonanza starts December 1st. We drag out all of Mommy's old cookbooks and cooking magazines and we spread them out on the living room floor and turn on the Charlie Brown Christmas album. No Christmas music is allowed in our house until December 1st. I don't remember whose rule this is but we abide by it. Kitty keeps a list of which cookies we're definitely doing and which ones we're maybe doing. There are a few perennials my dad loves pecan crescents, so those are a must. Sugar cookies, because those are a given. Snickerdoodles for Kitty. Molasses cookies for Margot, Cowgirl cookies for me. White chocolate cranberry are Josh's favorite. I think this year, though, we should mix things up and do different cookies. Not entirely, but at least a few new ones. Peter's here. He stopped by after school to work on chem, and now it's hours later and he's still here. He and Kitty and I are in the living room going through the cookbooks. My dad's in the kitchen listening to NPR and making tomorrow's lunches. Please, no more turkey sandwiches, I call out. Peter nudges my sock and mouth's spoiled, and he points at me and Kitty, shaking his finger at us. Whatever, your mom makes your lunches every day, so shut it, I whisper. My dad calls back. Hey, I'm sick of leftovers, too, but what are we going to do, throw it away? Kitty and I look at each other. Pretty much exactly, I say. My dad has a thing about wasting food. I wonder if I snuck down to the kitchen tonight and threw it out if he'd notice. He probably would. If we had a dog, Kitty pipes up loudly, there wouldn't be any more leftovers. She winks at me. What kind of dog do you want? Peter asks her. Don't get her hopes up, I tell him, but he waves me off. Immediately, Kitty says, An akita, red fur with a cinnamon bun tail, or a German shepherd I can train to be a seeing-eye dog. But you're not blind, Peter says. But I could be one day. Grinning, Peter shakes his head. He nudges me again, and in an admiring voice, he says, Can't argue with the kid. It's pretty much futile, I agree. I hold up a magazine to show Kitty. What do you think? Creamsicle cookies? Kitty writes them down as a maybe. Hey, what about these? Peter pushes a cookbook in my lap. It's opened up to a fruitcake cookie recipe. I gag. Are you kidding? You're kidding, right? Fruitcake cookies? That's disgusting. When done right, fruitcake can be really good, Peter defends. My great-aunt Trish used to make fruitcake, and she'd put ice cream on top, and it was awesome. If you put ice cream on anything, it's good, Kitty says. Can't argue with the kid, I say, and Peter and I exchange smiles over Kitty's head. Point taken, but this isn't your average fruitcake. It's not like a wet loaf of neon Juju bees. It's got pecans and dried cherries and blueberries and good stuff. I think she called it, Christmas Memory Fruitcake. I love that story, I exclaim. That's my favorite. It's so good, but so sad. Peter looks puzzled, and so does Kitty, so I explain. A Christmas Memory is a short story by Truman Capote. It's about a boy named Buddy and his older lady cousin who took care of him when he was little. They'd save up all year to buy ingredients for fruitcake, and then they'd send them as presents to friends but also to, like, the president. Why is it so sad? Kitty wants to know. Because they're best friends and they love each other more than anybody, but they get separated in the end because the family thinks she doesn't take good enough care of him. And maybe she doesn't, but maybe it doesn't matter because she was still his soulmate. In the end, she dies, and Buddy doesn't even get to say goodbye to her. And it's a true story. That's depressing. Peter says, forget the fruitcake cookies. Kitty crosses out fruitcake cookies on her pad. I'm thumbing through an old good housekeeping magazine when the doorbell rings. Kitty scrambles up and runs for the door. Check who it is before you open it, I call after her. She's always forgetting to check first. Josh, I hear her squeal. Peter's head jerks up. He's here to see Kitty, I tell him. Yeah, right. Josh walks into the living room with Kitty hanging around his neck like a monkey. Hey, he says, eyes flickering in Peter's direction. What's up, man? Peter says, friendly as can be. Have a seat. I give him a strange look. Just a second ago, he was grousing, and now he's happy as a clam. I don't get boys. Josh holds up a plastic bag. I brought back your casserole dish. Is that Josh? my dad calls from the kitchen josh do you want a snack turkey sandwich i'm positive he's going to say no because i'm sure he's had as many leftover turkey sandwiches over at his house as we've been eating over here but then he goes sure josh disentangles himself from kitty and plops down on the couch to me he says christmas cookie bonanza christmas cookie bonanza i confirm you're making my favorite right Josh gives me puppy dog eyes, which always makes me laugh because it's so un-Josh. "'You're such a dork,' I say, shaking my head. "'What's your favorite?' Peter asks him. "'Because I think the list is pretty set.' "'I'm pretty sure it's already on the list,' Josh says. I look from Josh to Peter. I can't tell if they're kidding or not. Peter reaches out and tickles Kitty's feet. "'Read us the list, Catherine.' Kitty giggles and rolls over to her notepad. Then she stands up and grandly says, M&M cookies are a yes, cappuccino cookies are a maybe, creamsicle cookies are a maybe, fruitcake cookies are a no way. Wait a minute, I'm part of this council too, Peter objects, and you guys just turned down my fruitcake cookies without a second thought. You said to forget the fruitcake cookies like five seconds ago, I say. Well, now I want them back under consideration, he says. I'm sorry, but you don't have the votes, I tell him. Kitty and I both vote no, so that's two against one. My dad pops his head into the living room. Put me down as a yes vote for the fruitcake cookies. His head disappears back into the kitchen. Thank you, Dr. Covey, Peter crows. He drags me closer to him. See, I knew your dad was on my side. I laugh. You're such a suck-up. And then I look over at Josh, and he is staring at us with a funny, left-out look on his face. It makes me feel bad, that look. I scoot away from Peter and start flipping through my books again. I tell him, the list is still a work in progress. The Cookie Council will strongly consider your white chocolate cranberry cookies. Greatly appreciated, Josh says. Christmas isn't Christmas without your white chocolate cranberry cookies. Kitty pipes up. Hey, Josh, you're a suck-up, too. Josh grabs her and tickles her until she's laughing so hard she has tears in her eyes. After Josh leaves and Kitty goes upstairs to watch TV, I'm tidying up the living room, and Peter's sprawled out on the couch watching me. I keep thinking he's about to leave, but then he keeps lingering. Out of nowhere, he says, Remember back at Halloween, how you were Cho Chang and Sanderson was Harry Potter? I bet you that wasn't a coincidence. I bet you a million bucks he got Kitty to find out what your costume was, and then he ran out and bought a Harry Potter costume. The kid is into you. I freeze. No, he isn't. He loves my sister. He always has, and he always will. Peter waves this off. Just you wait. As soon as you and I are done, he's going to pull some cheesy-ass move and, like, profess his love for you with a boombox. I'm telling you, I know how guys think. I yank away the pillow he's got cushioning his back and put it on the recliner. My sister will be home for winter break soon. I bet you a million dollars they get back together. Peter holds his hand out for me to shake on it, and when I take it, he pulls me onto the couch next to him. Our legs touch. He has a mischievous glint in his eye, and I think maybe he's going to kiss me. And I'm scared, but I'm excited, too. But then I hear Kitty's footsteps coming down the stairs, and the moment's over. Chapter 53 Can we put up the tree this weekend? Kitty asks at breakfast. My dad looks up from his bowl of oatmeal. Oatmeal. Ugh. I don't see why not. Half heartedly I say Margot might be mad if we do it without her. Truth be told, I want to put the tree up too. It's so cozy to do Christmas cookie bonanza and have the lights twinkling on the tree and Christmas music and the whole house smelling like sugar and butter. Brielle's family put their tree up the day after Thanksgiving, Kitty says. Let's just do it then, I say. Can we, Daddy? Well, if Brielle's family is doing it, Daddy says. We drive out to the Christmas tree farm an hour away, because that's where the really nice ones are. Kitty insists on seeing each and every tree to make sure ours is the best one. I vote for a plump balsam fir because it smells the best, but Kitty doesn't think it's tall enough. We go for a Douglas fir instead, and the whole drive home, the air smells like Christmas morning. Josh runs out of his house when he sees us struggling to get the tree inside. He and my dad heft it up and take it inside the house. He holds the tree up straight as my dad screws the Christmas tree stand around it tight. I have a feeling like he's going to want to stay and help decorate the tree. I can't stop thinking about what Peter said. How Josh could maybe like me. A little to the left, Kitty directs. It's not straight enough. I bring down the box with the twinkle lights and the ornaments and start sorting through them. My favorite is the painted blue star I made in kindergarten out of dough. It's my favorite because there's a bite taken out of it. I told Kitty it was a cookie, and she chomped right into it like the cookie monster. And then she cried, and I got in trouble. But it was worth it. Should we do colored lights or white lights this year? I ask. White, Kitty says. It's classier but colored lights are whimsical josh argues i mean they're nostalgic i roll my eyes whimsical josh and then josh proceeds to make a case for colored lights and he and i argue back and forth until daddy intercedes and says we should just do half and half this is when things finally feel really and truly normal between us now that we're bickering again like old times peter was wrong about josh the tree is so tall it nearly touches the ceiling. We run out of lights, so Daddy goes to buy more at the store. Josh puts Kitty on his shoulders so she can put the star on the tippy top. I'm glad we got a big tree this year, I say with a happy sigh, falling back onto the sofa and looking up at the top. There's nothing cozier than a Christmas tree all lit up. A little later, Daddy has to go into the hospital, and Kitty goes over to our neighbor's house because they're making s'mores in the fireplace, so it's just Josh and me cleaning up. I'm putting ornament hooks back into their different Ziploc bags, and Josh is loading up a cardboard box with the ornaments we didn't have room for. He hoists the box in his arms and bumps into a branch on the tree, and a glass ornament slips off and breaks. Josh groans. Josh, I say. I made that in home ec sorry. It's okay. It wasn't my best work anyway. I put in too many feathers. It's a clear glass ball with white feathers and white sequins inside. I go get a broom, and when I come back, he says, you act different around Kavinsky. Did you know that? I look up from sweeping the broken ornament. No, I don't. You don't act like you. You act like, (laughs) like how all girls act around him. That's not you, Laura Jean. Annoyed, I say. I act the same as I always do. What would you know about it, Josh? You've barely ever even been around us. I crouch down and pick up a shard of glass. Be careful, Josh says. Here, I'll do it. He stoops down next to me and reaches for another shard. Ow! You be careful. I lean close to him and try to get a closer look at his finger. Are you bleeding? He shakes his head. I'm fine. And then he says, You know what I don't get? What? Josh stares at me, his cheeks a dull red. Why you never said anything? If all that time you felt like that about me, why didn't you say anything? My whole body goes stiff. I wasn't expecting that. I'm not prepared. I swallow hard and say, You were with Margot. I wasn't always with Margot. The stuff you wrote, you liked me before I ever liked her. Why didn't you just tell me? I let out a breath. What does it even matter now? It matters. You should have told me. You should have at least given me a chance. It wouldn't have made a difference, Josh. And I'm telling you it would have. He steps toward me. Jerkily, I rise to my feet. Why is he bringing this up now, just when things are back to normal again? You're so full of it. You've never thought of me that way, not ever, so don't go trying to reinvent history now when I have somebody. Don't tell me what I think, he snaps. You don't know my every thought, Lara Jean. Yes, I do. I know you better than anyone. You know why? You're predictable. Everything you do, it's so predictable. The only reason you're even saying this now is because you're jealous. And it's not even because of me. You don't care about who I'm with. You're just jealous that Peter took your spot. Kitty likes him better than you now, too. His face darkens. He glares at me, and I glare back. Fine, he yells. I'm jealous. Are you happy now? And then he jerks his head toward mine, and he kisses me. On the lips. His eyes are closed, mine are wide open, and then mine closed too, and for a second, just for a second, I kiss him back. Then I break away, I push him off. Triumphantly, he says, Did you predict that, Laura Jean? My mouth opens and closes, but no words come out. I drop the broom and run up the stairs as fast as I can. I run all the way to my room and lock my door behind me. Josh just kissed me in my living room. My sister is coming back in a few weeks, and I have a fake boyfriend I just cheated on. Chapter 54 After third period, Lucas is waiting for me. He's wearing a skinny tie today with a v-neck, and he has a full-size bag of Cheetos in his hand. He stuffs a handful of Cheetos into his mouth, and orange dust floats onto his white v-neck. The corners of his mouth look slightly orange, too. With his mouth full, he says, Look, there's something I need to tell you. I laugh. I can't believe I ever thought you were so refined, I say, blowing Cheetos powder off his shirt. What do you need to tell me? I ask. I steal a few Cheetos out of the bag. When he hesitates, I say, Lucas, I hate when people say that they have something to tell you and then they don't just say it. It's like when people say they have a funny story. Like, just hurry up and tell the story and I'll decide for myself if I think it's funny or not. Lucas licks cheese off his lips. Well, you know how I live in the same neighborhood as Genevieve, right? I nod. Last night, I saw Kavinsky leaving her house. Oh, that's all I say, just oh. Normally, I wouldn't think it was that big of a deal, but-there's one other thing. Lucas wipes his mouth off with the back of his hand. Genevieve and her college guy broke up over the weekend. You know what that means, right? I'm nodding, but I'm numb inside. Yes. Wait, what? Lucas gives me a look that's half pitying, half impatient. She's going to try to get Peter back, Laura Jean. Right, I say, and I feel a pang even as I'm saying it. Of course you will. Don't let her, he warns. I won't, I say, and the words come out soft like jelly without any conviction at all. I didn't know it until now, but I think maybe I've been counting down to this moment all along, for Genevieve to want Peter back, for Peter to figure out... This whole thing has been a zany little detour, and now it's time for him to go back where he belongs, to the person he belongs to. I wasn't planning on telling Peter a thing about Josh kissing me. I really wasn't. But then, as Lucas and I are walking together, I see him and Genevieve walking down the hallway. Lucas gives me a meaningful look, which I pretend not to see. In chemistry class, I write Peter a note. You were right about Josh. I tap him on the back and slip the note into his hand. When he reads it, he sits up straight and immediately scrawls something back. Be more specific. He kissed me. When Peter stiffens, I'm ashamed to say that I feel a little bit vindicated. I wait for him to write back, but he doesn't. As soon as the bell rings, he turns around and says, What the hell? How did that even happen? He came over to help us trim the tree. And then what? He kissed you in front of Kitty? No, it was just the two of us at the house. Peter looks really irritated, and I'm starting to regret mentioning it. What the hell was he thinking? Kissing my girlfriend? It's fucking ridiculous. I'm going to say something to him. Wait, what? No! I have to, Lara Jean. He can't just get away with it. I stand up and start packing up my bag. You'd better not say anything to him, Peter. I mean it. Peter watches me silently, and then he asks, Did you kiss him back? What does it matter? He looks taken aback. Are you mad at me for something? No, I say, but I will be if you say anything to Josh. Fine, he says. Fine, I say back. Chapter 55 I haven't seen Josh since he kissed me, but when I get home that night from studying at the library, he is sitting on the front porch in his navy parka, waiting for me. The lights are on in the house. My dad is home. Kitty's bedroom light is on. I'd rather go on avoiding Josh, but here he is at my house. Hey, he says. Can I talk to you? I sit down next to him and look straight ahead, across the street. Miss Rothschilds put her Christmas tree up, too. She always puts it by the window near the door so people can see it from the outside. We have to figure out what we're going to do before Margot gets here. It was my fault what happened. I should be the one to tell her. I stare at him in disbelief. Tell her? Are you nuts? We're never telling Margot because there's nothing to tell. He juts his chin out. I don't want to keep a secret from her. You should have thought of that before you kissed me, I hiss. And for the record, if anybody was going to tell her, it would be me. I'm her sister. You were just her boyfriend, and you're not even that anymore. So hurt flashes across his face, and it stays there. I was never just Margot's boyfriend. This is weird for me, too, you know. It's like, ever since I got that letter, he hesitates. Forget it. Just say it, I say. Ever since I got that letter, things have been messed up between us. It's not fair. You got to say everything you wanted to say, and I'm the one who has to rearrange the way I think about you. I have to make sense of it in my head. You totally blindsided me, and then you just shut me out. You started dating Kavinsky. You stopped being my friend. He exhales. Ever since I got your letter... I haven't been able to stop thinking about you. Whatever I was expecting him to say, it wasn't that. It definitely wasn't that. Josh, I know you don't want to hear it, but just let me say what I need to say, okay? I nod. I hate that you're with Kavinsky. I hate it. He's not good enough for you. I'm sorry to say it, but he's just not, in my opinion. No guy will ever be good enough for you. Least of all me. Josh ducks his head, and then suddenly he looks up at me and says, There was this one time, I guess it was a couple of summers ago, we were walking home from somebody's house. I think it was Mike's. It was hot around dusk. I was mad because Mike's older brother Jimmy had said he'd give us a ride home, and then he went somewhere and didn't come back, so we had to walk. I was wearing espadrilles, and my feet were hurting something